Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. As you can tell, we are starting a new series called The Simple Gospel. Everyone say that with me. The Simple Gospel. So I wanted to start off and kind of ask a question for you to think about. I'm wondering, has there ever been a paradigm shifting moment or an event in your life? Just think about that for a moment. Has there ever been a paradigm shifting moment in your life? It's a moment that you realize that everything that you thought about or the way that you were thinking or even the things that you were doing, you were doing it completely wrong. Or maybe there was a better way. It's that aha moment that you experience in your life. Uh, I kind of went through this uh, not too long ago. Well, actually about maybe three some years ago. Because ever since I came to Hong Kong with my family and a team of people to start the church, one of the things we realized is that sometimes it takes more time and to actually make your own food. And so time is money, money is time. You know, Hong Kong is such a fast-paced society. So one of the things that we quickly kind of got assimilated to was takeaway. Everyone, you guys, all, we all know that. Takeaway, I don't think Deliveroo, Panda, um, the Panda dude uh, <laughs> was, sorry, Food Panda, uh, was as popular like five, six some years ago. But now it is. And we're delivering everything from those things. But we would, we would do these takeaways. And one of the things that they would do is they would tie a knot that is almost impossible to open. Can, can I get an amen to that? Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Like literally you have to go to a special school to open that up. And if you're like me, you get really frustrated. And so you just like, like the Incredible Hulk, you would just rip it open because you're hungry and it's too hard to open it up. Now, some of you are very diligent, and what I mean by that is some of you are very neat, and you want to use that bag later for garbage and other things. So what do you do? You start picking on it, and people around you are looking at you, but you you don't mind. You just kind of pick on it. And as you know, if you do this long enough, you realize that it's not easy to open it up. That is when I got this aha moment, because I was talking to somebody who actually delivered the food. And I said, why do you guys tie it so tight? Because it almost seems impossible. And this older gentleman goes, ah, let me show you. So I'm going to go ahead and show you. Uh, Just to let you know, this is already eaten in the morning. So uh, just as a demonstration. Uh, So I don't know if you can tell. Can can you see it on the screen? Yeah, Can can you see it? Okay, there we go. So if you look at it carefully, you'll notice that it's tied. And so some of us start picking on it. And you know what happens to your nails uh, if you don't have long nails. And those of us who bite on our nails, we have a problem. It's very difficult to open it up. So as I was uh, asking, why do you guys tie it so tight? This person said, there's a way to do this. And this, this was the paradigm shifting moment for me. Because naturally what we want to do and the way we were raised and the way many of us would do it, we'll just start picking on it. He goes, watch carefully. So I watched him. And what he did was he took these two and he began to start spinning it. 
And I'm like, what is he doing? He's making it tighter. That's what I was trying to tell him. You're making it tighter. But he kept on spinning. And as he was spinning it, I realized what he was doing was he was creating a very tight, almost like a string, to the point where he then said, if you do this tight enough, then all you have to do is push. And it will start. <laughs> Hold on. I got to I got to do it a little bit longer. The person who did this for me I think did it too tight. So once you make it tight, can you see it like this? Can you see it? Okay. Then what you got to do is you got to press it through into the knot. And guess what starts happening? Okay, okay. Hold on, hold on. Then after you eat, you can still use the bag for other things. Now, some of you, if this is your first time in church, we don't just talk about Jesus and the Bible. We give you some practical hints, all right? <laughs> some practical tips, do-it-yourself kind of thing. Now, why am I sharing this? Because listen to what the Merriman Webster Dictionary says and how they define paradigm shift. It says this, it is an important change that happens when the usual way of thinking about or doing something is replaced by a new and different way. Let me give you the Collins Dictionary definition of a paradigm shift. It says this, a radical change in underlining beliefs or theory. So when you think about that, you realize all throughout history, there have been many paradigm-shifting moments. Now, those of us who might not, you haven't very, lived very long, maybe about 20 years of your life, if you go all the way back, even towards the beginning of time, there are many defining moments that literally shaped and shifted people's paradigm. So let me show you some of these things. The first picture that I want to show you is this. I don't know how many of you know Volkswagen. Now, the thing is that they actually publicized this new technology that was supposed to be diesel. And the way it was supposed to run, it was supposed to be clean fuel. And it was, it, it was a big seller. They sold millions and millions of these types of cars with the TDI technology. Now, the problem was that once they found out after about eight some years that they actually programmed it in such a way that it would pass the emission test, but it was the worst in terms of polluting the air. And those of us have no clue, but if you're in the States, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, you have to have your car tested to make sure that it does not produce, a, uh, doesn't create pollution or add to the pollution. And that's why it was something that was revolutionary. Now, as you can tell, that was supposed to be a paradigm-shifting moment until they found out that they were lying and they rigged it up. Now, fast forward a little bit, and you'll notice the next picture. And the next picture, this is paradigm-shifting. Because Tesla, they created the first what? The electric car. And so it was completely, there were hybrids, but now we're talking about completely electric. It literally shifted the paradigm when it comes to cars. Now I believe in the next five to 10 years, most of the cars 
will be electric. You'll see that a lot of these cars are now coming out as electric cars. Another one is, now don't, don't show it yet, because I'm, I'm just wondering, how many Indonesian people do we have here? Raise your hand, be proud, it's all right. Okay, praise the Lord, we love you, we love you. Now, when my family and I, we lived in Indonesia, we had to get something that was almost like required. It was like, it, it, you just had to get it, because you could not survive in Indonesia without this. And it is simply... <laughs> the Blackberry. Now, some of you are like, the Blackberry? What is that? Now, those of you from Indonesia, you know. Does anyone still use the Blackberry? Can I? Anybody? I just know one person in this world, at least the one that I know, still likes to use the Blackberry. But the thing was, it was revolutionary because of the keypad. You could actually feel it. So those of us who like to type it. So this was probably the most popular phone at a certain time in the early 2000s. And all the way to the mid 2000s. But then in 2003, there was a new type of phone that came out and it was called the iPhone. Now, this is first generation, this is iPhone one. And it totally shifted the paradigm of what a phone does. Now don't raise your hand because you don't want to embarrass yourself. How many of you do everything on your phone, like watching Netflix and do other stuff like that? I mean, all you need is your phone. Now these phones are so powerful, you don't need anything else. You have Everything there. You can watch movies. You can listen to songs. You can just, the technology has changed. This is a, a game changer when it came out in 2003. Here's another paradigm shifting thing. Those of us who are young, you will not know what this is. Does anyone know what this is? Raise your hand if you know it. Okay, only the old folks. Something like, what, what is that? It's a building. Is, is that going to be our new church? Where, what, where is that? Borders was a bookstore, a physical bookstore. So people will walk in, you'll buy books. Now that was the norm throughout until the paradigm shifting moment that happened. And that was through what? 2007. It was something called the Kindle, the Amazon Kindle. Now, instead of carrying books, like when I would travel, I would carry like three or four books and it was heavy. Now I could put hundreds of books in the small little gadget here called the Kindle. So once again, paradigm shifting, the way we look at things and the way we do things. Lastly, I don't know how many of you know this, but if you do, you, it's a miracle. Uh-huh. There was a time, there was a time where in order to watch a movie, you would have to go to one of these stores and rent out in a, either a DVD or they would have it back then, way back when I was, you know, younger, uh, in these cassette tapes. And you will watch movies from there, and you'll bring it back. And, you know, it, it was just, it was the coolest thing. Until the game changer happened, the paradigm shifting, and it's this. I decided to not even, I decided to not even put the name. Just put the, the logo. Doom, doom. And then... <laughs> And all of you will know what it is. You know, even with these paradigm-shifting moments in history, I think the, one of the greatest paradigm-shifting moments when the Apostle Paul trusted in Jesus Christ to be his Messiah. In fact, all his life, the Apostle Paul, what he did was he was working to earn 
righteousness. That was his paradigm. You got to be good. You got to observe all these laws, these Jewish laws. And in his mind, this is what it meant to be close to God. But then he finally realized that salvation and righteousness could not be earned, but it was a gift from God. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 through 9. It says this, Even though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the a church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now just pause here for a moment. What he's literally doing is he's giving you his CV. If there's anyone who could have lived a life that might possibly earn salvation, what he's saying is, it's me. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I came from the tribe of Benjamin. I've done all these things. I even persecuted. If you want to think about it, I, like, I literally, anyone who came against the Messiah, I actually went to kill. So this guy was a zealot. He loved God. And somehow thinking that by doing all these righteous things that somehow he can earn salvation, which is religion. But that's when he encountered Jesus Christ, when he was going to Damascus and about to kill Christians there. And God appeared to him. And Jesus Christ says, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, I want you to read the next several sentences. Read the highlighted a bold yellow with me. It says this. But whatever gain I had, it says, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. As I read this story, it, it reminds me of my paradigm-shifting moment when I was about 13, going on 14. When I went to that retreat, and for the very first time, I've never heard of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. My family, we grew up in a very Buddhist, at best, maybe ancestral worship background. So I've never heard about Jesus Christ, minus maybe in a swear context or something like that. Uh, you know, who, who's Jesus, you know? But think about this. A person who have never heard this gospel message for the very first time at the end of my eighth grade, going into high school, I heard that there is this God who loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to come to this earth and live the life that I could not live, which was supposed to be perfection. And because I couldn't do it, I needed to be punished because of my sin and Trust me, I didn't have to have anyone tell me that I was sinful. Because by that time, I was already caught by the police several times. I was already causing a lot of menace and headache for my parents. And that's why they sent me to this camp. Because they said, if we don't, he's going to either be a, a gangster, or he's going to be a robber, or he's going to somehow be in prison. So out of desperation, they sent me to this camp. And that's when I heard the gospel message for the first time. I go, this is too good to be true, that a God, if there's someone out there that will love me in spite of all that I've done, that he loved me enough that he gave his son to die on the cross. And in that moment, something happened. But as you know, as I went into high school, things 
began to waver because I did not get discipled. No one spent time with me to disciple me. So it wasn't until I was 17 years old when I was at a party and we were just completely wasted. And in that moment, I was alone in this room as I went upstairs to my friend's place. And as I was there, I was thinking to myself, like, here I am as a 17-year-old, experienced everything that I can experience for a 17-year-old and more. And I thought to myself, if this is the meaning of life, if this is what I've been striving for, then I don't know if I want to live it. And it was in that moment, a defining moment, a paradigm-shifting moment, I gave myself and I rededicated my life to Jesus Christ. Now, why is this significant? Because when we talk about the simple gospel, there are many of us who know it in our heads, but we have not experienced it in our lives. This is the reason why some of you, even though you are a professing Christian and you are a follower of Christ, you are still trying to earn your righteousness on your own strength. Some of you are acting more like pagans and people who don't know Jesus Christ than those who claim that they don't know Jesus and they're going to do whatever they want and they're living a good life. And you see this in the church. Many of you might have been brought up in the church and it's all about the rules. It's about do's and don'ts. But you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know about him, but you don't know him in an intimate and personal way. And that's why we're studying this book, the book of Romans. And let me just say this. I, I have never preached the book of Romans in its entirety. And I've been preaching for close to almost 20 some years. Now some of you are like, huh? What's going on? And let me explain why. Because the book of Romans is literally the greatest book of the greatest book. It is one of the most theologically rich and a lot of scholars and, you know, they would argue back and forth on little nuances of words. It has been the monster of all books in the Bible. That's why many pastors that I do know, they hold off on preaching this until they can fully understand, not through only their lives, but also through their understanding of what the gospel means for them. Now, I'm not saying that I am now completely ready to share this, because even as I was preparing, I realized, wow, it is so deep, it is so rich, and we're not going to do it justice. In fact, if I could be really honest with you here, I would say this will take about two years to finish, if we're going to do it justice. Just taking maybe four or five verses at a time, there's so much packed in there, but we're going to try to do this in one year. And even then, it's not going to be easy because we're going to be going over big chunks and we're going to have to summarize some of them. So I pray that this will be a blessing to you. And as many of you heard before, we have talked about why we preach through the Bible as a church. I know a lot of other churches preach topically, which I don't think it's a bad thing because it's addressing different issues that's going on in the church. But I realize that in our generation, we have become more Bible illiterate. And sometimes when you try to counsel other people or you're trying to help other people, it's not through biblical wisdom, but it really is humanistic, humanism. Some things that you've learned over the years, but it's not biblical. And that's why we've been encouraging you to participate and keep on doing so. Grow in that. Grow in the knowledge of the Word. 
I pray, this is, this is my desire, that after this series, there will be such a hunger in every single one of your hearts for the Word of God because you realize it is true. I pray that it will motivate you to know more of God, to understand this gospel message that can transform your life. Why go through another five years, 10 years, 20 years of your life just going through the motions of religion but not understanding this personal relationship that God wants with you in a deeper way? This is the reason why some of you do not have a personal relationship, even though you claim yourself to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You can go days without even praying. You can go weeks without reading the Bible. And that's why I pray that in our church, and this is Pastor Bowles and my heart's desire, that people in our church will have this insatiable desire for the Word of God because that's what's going to lead us and direct us and guide us. This book of Romans has influenced so many people over the years, all throughout history. That's why it's such a seminal, it is like literally the magnus opus. It's like the grand performance of all of Paul's writing. That's why it's written right after the Gospels. It was not because of the date, but because of how important it is in the New Testament. Listen to what Martin Luther, who started the Protestant Reformation, Listen to what he writes. He says this, This epistle is really the chief part of the New Testament and the very purest gospel, and it's not, and it's worthy not only that every Christian should know it word by word, by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much, and the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes, and the better it tastes. Pretty much, it's a good wine that's been aged very well. It, it, it is like a violin that the wood just kind of, you know, the sound is just, just different. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't play, but from what I hear. <laughs> Listen to what William Tyndale said. He's the, the guy who translated the Bible into English from the Greek and the Hebrew. The first Bible translated. Listen to what he says. I think it meet that every Christian man or woman not only know it by rote and without the book, but also exercise himself therein evermore continually as with the daily bread of the soul. So you see this theme of the daily bread, our sustenance. No man verily can read it too oft or study it too well, for the more it is studied, the easier it is. The more it is chewed, the more pleasant it is, and the more ground it is searched, the precious things are found in it. I pray that as we go through this, that some of you will be able to really meditate and ponder upon this. I pray some of you who are more musically inclined, you will write songs about some of the things that God is speaking to you about. I pray those of you who are more on the creative side, you can draw things. I pray that God will light your intellect, your brain, and also your emotion. See, the problem with this book is that well, it's not really the book's problem, but the problem with people dealing with this book is they make it all intellectual. But when you really begin to understand Paul's heart when he wrote this, you realize you see the fire that's burning inside of him. And that's what I want us to become as a church, that our brains are active and we're thinking, but our hearts are burning because of the gospel fire that's within us. I pray that that will be true of every single one of us. So as we study this book, there will be 22 parts. Everyone say 22 parts. 22 parts. 
that's not even doing justice. Remember, I told you it, it will take forever. But Pastor Bo and I, we said, okay, we can't do this forever. So we said, let's break it up. And when we broke it up, we broke it up into 22 parts. And then can you imagine, what part are we on? Part 17. Like, oh, part 17 of the book of Romans. So we realized that it will be important not only to have 22 parts, but what we decided to do to cover all 16 chapters of the book of Romans, one of the things that we decided to do is we considered the calendar. So we considered like Missions Month that's coming up in November because we're going to have guest speakers and we're going to just do other things. Uh, we realized Christmas and then uh, New Year's and some of the other holidays and also leading up to the greatest celebration for any follower of Christ, which is Easter. So excluding all those things, we realized that in these 16 chapters, we want to take it into 22 parts. And so instead of saying we're on part number or whatever, what we decided to do is put it into clusters. What I mean by clusters is that we're going to do some of these chapters in like four weeks. We might do it in three weeks, two weeks, according to the calendar, so that at least it's not just the book of Romans and part whatever, but we're going to go over more thematically some of the different areas. So this is what I'm going to give you an overview of what we're trying to do. So today I'm going to talk about the overview of the simple gospel. I'm going to talk about the need for this paradigm shift that we all need in order for us to understand the simple gospel. Then for the next four weeks, after this Sunday, the next four weeks, the first major section we're going, to be, uh, we're going to be talking about is simply called scandalous. Everyone say scandalous. No, it's not X-rated, all right? It's, it's just scandalous because it just seems almost impossible to believe that it's true. So we're going to talk about the first three chapters, and we're entitling it simply as scandalous, the scandalous gospel. And then for the next two weeks after that, we're going to go to the second major section, and it's going to call giveaway. And so we're talking about the gospel, how it is given freely to us, and now we are freely giving it to others. So we're going to be looking at chapters 4 and 5 and talk about that. And then for five weeks after Missions Month and other things going on, we're going to go through the third major section of this book, and we're going to call it Free at Last. Everyone say, Free at Last. And it's going to talk about how the gospel sets us free from the past life and the things that we're going through. Because as we look ahead to the future glory that we have, and we're going to be looking at chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. So in these four chapters, we're going to be looking at this theme of free at last. And then for four weeks after that, the fourth major section will be called controversial issues. This is going to be fun because we're going to talk about God's sovereignty and predestination. You don't want to miss it. Some of you, can I just also say this? I'm going to offend almost every single one of you at least sometime if you stay with me to the end of this year. Turn to somebody and say, he might offend you. And I'm not going to offend you unnecessarily. I'm going to offend you because I'm going to be preaching from the word, and this is what the Bible says. So if you have a problem, talk to him. All right. We're going to talk about controversial issues, such as the sovereignty of God and predestination, and some of these things that we see in chapters 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11. And then for six weeks, this is the last section, starting from chapter 12 all the way to chapter 16, we're going to simply call it revolutionaries. What does it really mean 
to live the simple gospel life and how it causes us to live radically for Jesus Christ. Amen. Are you guys ready? Amen. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm, I'm ready to go. So once again, if you get too excited, it's not because I'm angry. You know, I'm just excited. All right. Uh, I think all of us. Are, c- come on. Let, let, can I get a good amen? amen? Praise God. Amen. So let me give us the one thing as we talk about these 17 verses. It's simply this. That self-righteousness will amount to nothing, but the gospel changes everything. Self-righteousness will amount to nothing, but the gospel changes everything. Can I just ask you to turn to that person that you've been already talking with? Turn, turn to them and just tell them what the one thing is. Will you do that right now? One person goes first and the second person goes. Come on now. Amen and amen. Come on, let, let's go through this quickly. I'm going to give you the background of the book of Romans. This is probably the fastest background you have ever heard in your life. There are three things to consider in this background. Let me first talk about the significance of Romans. I already alluded to it. This is probably one of the most important books in the Bible. It has influenced so many people and their understanding of what the gospel is. Some of you who are struggling with trying to understand the gospel, if you can understand the book of Romans, I'm telling you right now, you will get to the core and the heart of the gospel. Such giant of the faith, like St. Augustine, Martin Luther, as I mentioned, even John Wesley, he was influenced, profoundly transformed because of this book. And that's what I've been praying for you, that every single one of us, as we study this book, it will radically transform your life because of the simple gospel. There are so many doctrinal truths in this book. There will be many theological foundations in this book. There will be concepts such as justification by faith. We'll talk about sanctification, adoption. We'll talk about judgment and our identity in Christ. All these things that come out of the simple gospel. But at the same time, this is why the book is such a beautiful book. While it is theologically rich, you will notice that in this book, Paul also talks a lot about practical living. And how to live your life in view of God's mercy as we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. It's going to be powerful. I pray that will make us revolutionaries who will make a difference and transform the world for Jesus Christ. The second thing that we need to mention as we start off in a little bit of the background, not only the significance of the book of Romans, I want to talk about the situation in the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul is the author of this letter. And it was written during his three-month stay in Corinth. And you'll see this in Acts chapter 20 and some other, it's alluding to that he wrote this while he was in Corinth. Now, scholars have said that the book of Romans was written around 57 AD. So you might want to just kind of note that. So we're talking about uh, 20-some years or even 30 years after Jesus' death. So this was written around 57 AD, and it was near the end of Paul's third missionary journey. So he already went on one, and he came back. He went to a second one, and then came back, and now he was on his third. And towards the end of his third missionary journey, he writes this book of Romans. So we're talking about a lot of experiences, a lot of things that he saw, he witnessed, that he wanted to reinforce about the simple gospel. Another thing to keep in mind is this, that even though there was particularly, Paul did not visit Rome yet, 
One of the things that you have to know is that there were many people that he influenced and converted in different parts of the world. And these people ended up coming to Rome for various reasons. And therefore, he was so concerned about what was going on in Rome as they gave updates that he decided to write this letter for the believers who are both Jews and also Gentiles and non-Jews. Third thing is this, lastly, it's not only the significance, and now you understand a little bit of the situation in the book of Romans, and I'm just going to give you the summary of Romans, and this is just the theme, the purpose of it. This was Apostle Paul's longest letter out of all the letters that he wrote. The theme or purpose of this book was to communicate the importance of the gospel. Now, you will hear this phrase a lot, the righteousness of God. It's going to be repeated over and over throughout this whole book. And what that means is that you are only made right before God, which is to be righteous, not because of what you do, your works or your self-righteousness, trying to perform and be good, but it's because of the righteousness of God. And that's what I'm going to highlight today as we talk about self-righteousness amounts to nothing. But when you really understand this gospel message, it will change everything. So let's go ahead, and I want to talk about two things that we must remember with the gospel. If we're going to really understand that self-righteousness will amount to nothing and how the gospel changes everything. The first thing is this, the focus of the gospel. What is the focus of the gospel? Let's go ahead and read from chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. And it's important that as we read this, there's so much in here. Like I said, you could take phrases, even key words, and just kind of sit on that for a long time and talk about it. But due to time, I'm just going to try to cover the key important things to build up this case that self-righteousness will amount to nothing, but the gospel will change everything. This is what it says in verses 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ." To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, right away, I want you to notice that the focus is on whom? Come on now. It's on Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. The focus is squarely on Jesus. Because what does he say? He says that I, Paul, am a servant of Christ Jesus. He's not a servant of anyone else, but he's serving God. And I want to encourage you with this. The more you begin to understand who you are in Christ, serving God and being a servant of God is not a task or a chore. It becomes part of who you are because God has loved you. And now you want to love God as you serve him. So the focus is on Jesus Christ because he's a servant of Christ Jesus. And here's Paul. He says he was set apart for the gospel, which was prophesied about whom? 
Okay. Let me just give you a little hint. Every time I pause and give you one of those, I'm going to give you the answer. The cheat sheet. It's J-E-S-U-S. Let me say it again. Paul was set apart for the gospel, which was prophesied about? Jesus. Amen. Who is the son of God? Oh, no, okay, no. So. Okay, I, 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 better, I better not uh, show my hands. Wow, you guys are, you guys are awesome. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm kidding. kidding. Jesus, the son of God. And then he talks about what? Because of Jesus' resurrected power, because of his resurrection. Through him, who is? That now we have this grace. It's, it's not because of anything else but Jesus. That's why falling in love with Jesus, as you get to know more of who this Jesus is, and as you begin to serve Jesus, not other people and other for your own self uh, acclaim, but when you do things for Jesus, you begin to realize that it's not about me. You've heard me say this many times over the pulpit, but the reason why some of you still make everything about you is because you do not know Jesus. You don't know him in that personal way, in that deep way, what he has done for you on the cross. So you make much of yourself instead of making much of Jesus. Paul quickly understood that he is a servant of Jesus. And it was prophesied about the Son of God who was going to come, who was Jesus. And it was this Jesus that who resurrected from the dead. Now through him we have grace. That free gift, God's favor that we don't deserve. It's because of Jesus. Pretty much no Jesus, we would not have been able to receive all these things that we have. In verse 6, Paul even mentions that we are now called to what? Belong to Jesus Christ. Man, there's so many times when I talk with people and they feel like, man, I'm all alone. Or I don't feel belonged here. Or I, maybe just there's different things that you just feel like you're like on the outside of looking in. And let me, just, let me just encourage you with this. Regardless of what people say, regardless of what you feel, the Bible is clear. It says that we belong to whom? Come on to Jesus and that's one of the most powerful things if you really understand this that you belong to Jesus that's what Paul says because of all these things that was prophesied about him that now he's a servant of this Jesus he says that he has now called us to belong to this Jesus Christ that's why understanding the simple gospel Paul knew his calling his identity his security all these things come through Jesus. Let's look at verse 8 through 15 here. It says this. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, and that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. 
I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Well, I want to just quickly mention something just within this big chunk. We see that Paul is thanking God for every single person, every believer in Rome. Why? Because of their faith. Their faith, it says here, is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Everyone is hearing and knowing about their faith. Now, it is important that it's in multiple, multi-dimensions, and we'll talk about that later on. But faith is not only believing in that first moment to receive Jesus, but it's also about faith, the ongoing faith, that you live by faith, trusting in Jesus Christ for all things. So he thanks God. He gives thanks to God because of their faith. Can I just pause here and challenge us to think? When was the last time somebody heard about you, and the first thing that came to them, oh, that person really lives by faith, or that person is faithful. See, the problem is that in our generation and in this world, we we'll always look at talent. We we'll look at the external appearance. We we'll look at personality. When was the last time somebody said, man, you are a man or woman of God who really exhibit a lot of faith, a lot of trust, that's what I'm praying for our church as we understand the simple gospel because it is simple but so deep that it will somehow produce in us a life of faith. There are some of you right now that are going through a decision and you have, you have zero faith. So what are you doing right now? You're using human wisdom, human resources to try to figure things out and you're still not getting it right. You know, some people ask me, Pastor Seth, is, is living by faith, is it always hard? And I would say it depends. Because when I look at my life, all the times where I had to make a decision and it required some level of faith, I realized that when I was given options, it was always the harder one. I'm not saying that to live by faith, it's always got to be hard. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that whenever I had to make a decision, it was always the one that I did not like. I didn't want to do that, that I had to fully trust. I had to wait for his timing. There were all these things that worked on my heart that I did not want God to work on my heart because I wanted to be God. I wanted to live according to how I wanted to live, and I didn't want anyone to tell me otherwise. And I realized in that moment that sometimes God puts things before me to choose faith over my own foolishness and the things that I want. Are some of you in that situation right now? It might not even be a decision. It might be something you have to trust that God is going to provide for you somehow. When was the last time someone said, wow, that's a powerful testimony. That's a testimony of faith, of how you trusted in God and not in yourself. And I'm going to tell you, as you start getting older, there's going to be more moments in your life where you're going to have to trust and you're going to have to live by faith. 
You see, the thanksgiving is always coupled with prayer. You'll see this all throughout the New Testament. You'll see this even in the Old Testament in the Psalms where thanksgiving is coupled with the prayer that's being lifted up. And he is interceding for the believers. Not only for the believers, but that he's praying that God will open up a door for him to come to them. See, there's something powerful when you think about people, when you focus on the gospel, it's no longer about you. It's about, it's about Jesus. It's about God opening a door so that the gospel can be preached. It's about Jesus. It's about getting together with other people so you can encourage one another because it's all about Jesus. Now, I know some of you, many of you, went away this past weekend or you did other stuff, kayaking or whatever it was. We had a lot of hangout with our life group. And there's nothing wrong with hanging out, which is great. But I want to challenge some of you. Even in your hanging out, do you see what Paul was saying? I want to see you because I want to be mutually edified or encouraged. Because if I see you, I want to give you a spiritual gift. It's impartation. He wants to pray for them or he wants to use his gift to help them. And he says, I want you then to encourage me. See, when you focus on Jesus and you focus on this gospel, your friendships will be radically transformed. Can I ask you, how are your friendships right now? Some of you, you don't even realize how superficial it is. Just wait until you go through a difficult time, and when no one's there, you realize, wow, I I thought they were my friends, but they're not there. When was the last time you actually lifted up a prayer request for somebody? You prayed for them because they've asked you to pray, or you shared There's a prayer request that I have and you're asking them and they actually pray for you. You know that they're praying for you. See, when you focus on the gospel, it's about Jesus. And when it's about Jesus, then it will radically transform even your relationships with people. Praying as a family. Praying with your your life group members. Your LCG. Paul knew this mutual beneficial or mutual edification is such an important part. And then I want you to notice this. What fueled him to preach the gospel? It was that fact that he knew this gospel not only radically changed him, but it changed the people that he knew. That's why he was so eager to preach the gospel. The word eager can be translated as ready or prepared. Once again, everything is about the gospel for Paul. Whether it is his calling or his standing before God, it was because of the gospel of Jesus. Even in his relationship with people, it was focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. How about us this morning? What is your focus when it comes to various areas of your life? Are you focused on yourself or are you focused on the gospel? Because when you're focused on yourself, it will always lead to a self-righteousness that will amount to nothing. But when you focus on the gospel, it will change everything. The focus on the gospel. Let me close with this second point. 
not only the focus of the gospel, but you will notice as he continues in these two verses. He talks about the foundation of the gospel. In fact, I'm going to just give you a little uh, a sneak peek that these two verses is pretty much the theme for the rest of this book. That's why you got to understand this. Let's go ahead and read verse 16 through 17. It says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, Paul already mentioned the word gospel three times in verses 1 through 15. Now in verse 16 and 17, he mentions it two more times. So within these 17 verses, there are five mentions of the gospel. That's how central it is to what he's writing. Because everything is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul talks about what? Not being ashamed of the gospel. I mean, if you want to tr translate it in a different way, I'm not embarrassed. And here is my challenge. I would say majority of you in this room are embarrassed and ashamed of the gospel. Well, how can you say you're judging us, pastor? Well, let me play it out for you. How many times when you hear somebody bashing Christianity or even Christ, you keep your mouth shut because you're afraid? Of your grade? Of your promotion? Because it's no longer about Jesus now. It's about you. When was the last time you actually shared the gospel with somebody at work? Especially knowing that they're going through things in their lives. They're chasing after the things of this world. It is like chasing after the wind. Because you're more concerned about what they think of you. Than what Jesus thinks of you. And of that person who's in need of the gospel. So if we could all be honest this morning, we'll just simply say we are ashamed at times. But I will say this. <laughs> Have you ever met anyone who's not ashamed of the gospel? I mean, they're, they're crazy. They're the guys in the elevator. They'll start talking to the people in the elevator. They're the people who will actually just have conversation with strangers. And somehow they'll bring it back to church. They could use K-drama and bring it back to church about Jesus. Make it all about Jesus. I was having a conversation with some people about, I go, every single movie you cried in, it's about the gospel. They go, huh? And I said, name a movie, name a movie. Every single one. Any movie you've ever cried in, there's an element of the gospel. It's called the movie ministry. It's powerful. <laughs> Did you cry in Squid Games? Squid games. Did you cry? I bet you anything in that moment where you cried, there was some element of the gospel.
when that girl, well, I can't say it because some of you haven't watched it. <laughs> but those of you who watched it, you know what I'm talking about. Why am I sharing all this? Because I think when it really comes down to it, there are many of us in this room who are ashamed of the gospel because it has not transformed you. The people who are not ashamed of the gospel, they're not embarrassed of the gospel, is because the gospel has radically transformed their life. It is their life. It's the reason why they exist. It's the reason why they didn't go off on the deep end. It's the reason why they have hope. It's the reason why they live. That's why they're not ashamed of it. I mean, think about Paul. This guy was a religious freak. This guy was literally, he was the best of the best in the religious world. But realizing that it all amounted to nothing, when God spoke to him through Jesus Christ in that vision, he was blinded for three days, and then when the scales came off his eyes, and he saw, and his name was changed to now Paul. You're telling me that this guy is going to be ashamed of the gospel? No, because he's experienced the gospel. That's why even when he was writing to Timothy, what did he say? He said, I was once a blasphemer. I was a violent man. I was totally foolish. I did all these things. But thanks be to God because he has saved me. The worst of sinners. That's why when you understand the gospel, it will radically transform the way you live, the way you think, the way you see things, so that you will not be ashamed of the gospel. Now, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on some of you, but I'm challenging you. If there's fear in your heart, that means that you are more afraid of people's approval, people's thought of you, rather than what God thinks of you. That's why those who have experienced the gospel, I realize there is this, this fierceness about them because they know that no matter what happens to them, they're going to spend the rest of eternity with Christ. They know what their life would have been without Jesus. And that's why they're not ashamed. And here's Paul. He mentions about the gospel and why he's not ashamed. Because we're talking about the foundation now. How is this gospel now the foundation? Because it's about Jesus. But how is it lived out? And we see here the two things. The first is the power of God. It is God's power that will bring forth salvation. It's for everyone who believes, it says here in verse 16. It is through the power of God. That's why those of you who have friends, family members who are not believers, you cannot transform them. You cannot bring them to Christ. I always hear things like, oh yeah, I want to spend more time with my mom because I want to really show that, you know, and I'm just saying, listen, please spend time with your mom. Spend time with your family. That's important. But somehow you think to yourself, if I would just live a perfect life in front of my parents, in front of my friends, in front of my siblings, that somehow I'm going to bring them to Christ, you're, you're very mistaken. If I could just live my life perfectly in front of my boss, in front of my classmates, that somehow they'll come to know Jesus Christ, you're very mistaken. This is a self-righteousness that will amount to nothing. You cannot change anybody. I cannot change anybody. It has to be the power of God. 
not only the power of God as the foundational aspect of the gospel, but now we see the purpose of God. The purpose of God. He says, first for the Jews and for the Gentiles. Now, the thing is this. He's not showing favoritism, but what he's really doing is that his plan is that by saving the Jews, then through that he's going to save the world. That's why all throughout the Old Testament, God is trying to wake up the Israelite people. Remember your calling. You are supposed to be a light for the Gentiles. I saved you. I made a covenant with you so that you will then share the gospel message to the ends of this earth. But they failed again and again because of their disobedience. And so he says, first for the Jews. And that's exactly what Jesus said. He goes, he goes why are you coming in and bringing them? He goes, I came only here for the lost sheep of Israel. But when he saw the faith of the Syrophoenician woman, he saw the faith of many of these people who did not have this Jewish background. They came to know him as the Messiah. That's why in the NIV, verse 17, listen, it says, for, the gospel, for in the gospel, righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. What Paul is simply saying is that this righteousness is from whom? It's from God. It is from God. It is not from yourself. And it's revealed, and it's righteousness that is by faith from the first to last, when you first experience it, and it will sustain you all the way through, it's not what you do, but what Jesus Christ does. It is out of faith in reference to faith. Because what Christ has done in you, now you can live by faith. This kind of righteousness is totally unachievable by human efforts. Righteousness means to be justified. Can I just pause here, and I want to share something with you. I know I'm going a little bit over, but I want to share with you something that's really important. Many of you know that there's a lot of causes, a lot of things going on around the world, a lot of protests. And I find it really interesting, and this is something that's been coming up for some discussion, because if you do not know Jesus Christ, some of you are like, well, I'm not like those religious folks, and I'm going to tell you, you are. And let me explain why I say that. Because this self-righteousness is this idea that you somehow are better than somebody else and you have obtained some level of goodness or some level of performance that you should be better or ahead of other people. Please, do not raise your hand and I am not picking, I will not look at you. I will look over here at the keyboard, all right? Because every single time I say something, I look out, you know, my eyes are looking out and you're like, oh my God, Pastor, you were looking right at me. No, I wasn't. I, uh, the light is bright, okay? So I'm not looking at you. So I'm going to look over here just to make sure that none of you have this misunderstanding. Those of us who are environmentalists, is it a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. Creation care. God created all things. We need to take care of it. But then you have some of those people who are environmentalists who are like environmentalist Nazis. I don't, I don't know if I, I could use that word. It's like a slang term, so forgive me. Oh, my God. You're using plastic straws. I mean, that, that's the one they gave me. I'm sorry. And it almost seems like they're a little bit better than you because they don't use plastic straws because it goes into the nose of the tortoise and all this other stuff. 
So you're like, okay. Oh my God, you don't recycle? I'm sorry, I, I'll go get, get it from the garbage again. What I'm trying to say is this. You don't have to be a Christian to be self-righteous. You could be a pagan and be self-righteous. And you see this all across the world because it is innate in human beings because we're trying to do good so that we can somehow feel better about ourselves or we think we're better than other people. If you don't believe me, just not too long ago, there was this whole Black Lives Matter. I believe in this core and its essence about Many people who are from the African descent, they have, they have experienced prejudice or prejudiceism or like racism and even in America. And I have some black friends. And so for me, I know that this is not just a, like a Black Lives Matter, but it's, it's a serious thing. But if you talk to some of these people who are part of this now, they would say that they have completely strayed away from why this thing got started. I want to show you this really like one minute, just really quick video to show you what I mean by self-righteousness that it manifests as if they're better than everyone else. And this is what Paul is trying to talk about. It doesn't have to be a Jewish religion. It could be any kind of cause or belief that you have and that somehow you think you're better than everyone else. Let's watch this together. Have you noticed it's not a single black person there? I'm going to get into, I'm not trying to be political. I'm trying to be biblical here as much as possible. But somehow we get this idea that if we do certain things and do the right things, we just feel better about ourselves. To do what you just did there, to me, it's just kind of raise up your hand or we're going we're gonna to shout you down. We're going to yell at you. There are so many other videos about people just eating and then they will just knock their food off the table. And somehow they call it justice. But you know what the problem is? It's you trying to be righteous and judging everyone else who doesn't believe in your cause. And I'm sharing this not because I'm against any of those things that, or, or even protests. What I'm simply saying is this. You don't have to be religious to be self-righteous. It is so deeply built into our system of who we are as people that somehow we feel better if we're doing something that we think is right. And this carries over in our relationship with God. Instead of turning to Jesus and the gospel, we turn to our own self-righteousness by doing all these good things. And then we feel better about ourselves. We feel even better when there are people who are struggling. And I will give you the inverse of this. Listen to me carefully. You will also realize that you don't believe in the gospel when you're struggling and someone else is doing well and you feel bad about yourself. That's another sign. It's on the opposite end of the same coin that you are a self-righteous type of person that will not save you. It's not going to amount to anything. Because some of us, we do all this stuff and we feel good about ourselves. Some of us, we don't do any of these stuff or other people are doing this stuff and we feel bad about ourselves. That is still that desire to want to do something, but you can't do it or you're not able to do it. So it's easy for you then to say, well, what can I do? 
And that is the problem with self-righteousness. Either you will be totally discouraged, and some of, I don't know if you know, but some people have ended their lives. Other people have just gone through depression. And I'm not talking about the medical and some of those depression and emotional health, mental health. But I'm just talking about some of us that get so discouraged, we don't want to do anything. Or we do a lot of stuff and we get proud, which is totally against the gospel. And you get a bunch of these people who go to these schools, who think that they're the best, they're smarter than everyone else. These other people who grew up in the church, they don't do all this other stuff that other people do, so they feel better about themselves. But where we want to land is right here. We realize that we are sinful. There's nothing we can do. We have fallen short of the glory of God. But then Jesus loves us in spite of us. And it's about the gospel, so there will be a humility. That's why one of the traits of someone who understands the gospel is that they are humble. Because they don't deserve it. But God has given them righteousness that does not come from anyone. It doesn't come from your performance. It doesn't come from what you do or what you don't do. But it's from Jesus. It is a gift of God. That's why it changes everything when you understand this gospel message. So once again, self-righteousness will amount to nothing, but the gospel changes everything. Now some of you might be thinking, okay, then now what? What do I do? Let me give you some quick things to think about. The first thing is this. You got to strengthen your gospel paradigm. We talk about this all the time in our church. You got to strengthen it. How do you strengthen it? Well, start doing the things that will help build that muscle of gospel paradigm, which is read the Bible. See what the Bible says. Don't just, even, we're going to cover this in our life group. Go deeper. Share from your life. Understand what Paul is trying to say. Look at different translations. So strengthen the gospel paradigm. you got to be able to have that in your mindset. The second thing is this, is keep the gospel or speak the gospel language. Speak the gospel language. What is the gospel language? Well, every single time you get proud that you speak, you speak to yourself and realize, I don't deserve this. It's not because of me. It's because of Jesus Christ. And the third thing is set up your gospel bouncer. Some of you are thinking, what is that? <laughs> Those of you who don't know, if you go to these parties, they have these bouncers at the bars, these big dudes. So what you need is you need people who can be the bouncer around you, kind of accountability. People who will be able to say, hey, what you just said doesn't sound like the gospel. Bounce them out. That kind of human paradigm doesn't belong here. So you need people who are gospel fluent, or both of you are trying to be gospel fluent, and you help each other out. Amen? That means we got to pray. Let's, let's, let's go ahead and pray. Come on, let's stand together, shall we, as we close out here. Some of us here, I feel like you're, you're setting a, a trap, or maybe even Satan is setting a trap. 
you go to church, you come out to life group, you do all this stuff. You even send your soap to a bunch of people you're doing LCG, spending time with. But if you look at your life, you're not even close to really understand the gospel. Look at your thoughts. Look at the words that you say. Look at the way you live. And I think what God looks for is not so much all the sacrifices, but what he looks for is our hearts. And it's our hearts that need to be transformed. And there is this strong desire for all of us to somehow be righteous. But we do it because we want to try to be righteous on our own. The self-righteousness. And I'm telling you right now, it is going to lead to a dead end. And that's why some of you might even give up on Christianity. And you blame the church, you blame other people, but it's you. Your Christian life is not based on the gospel. It's about improvement in your life. It's based on, oh, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm just going to receive Christ because it's about heaven. Everything is about you. When a person understands the gospel message, I'm telling you right now, you will not be ashamed of this gospel. It will transform you deep within. That's why I love seeing the before and after. You guys seen that meme before? How it started and how it's going? You know that meme? If we did that for you, what would it look like? that self-righteous religion that you've been practicing for so long, what would it be like if you now lived according to the gospel message? That every single time you fail, not only do you understand your sinfulness, but then you turn to Jesus. I cannot earn this. I don't deserve this. I, my performance will always fall short. And so that much more, I need you. I pray that all of you will make your life and everything that you do about Jesus. Make it about Jesus. Get to know him more because then as you get to know him more, you're going to want to make it more about him because he's that good. I'm going to ask us to just bow our heads for a moment here. And I'm going to ask you to lift up a simple prayer. Just simply say, something to this effect just give me a, a gospel paradigm help me to be transformed known by you loved by you that everything that I do is no longer trying to gain or earn or perform but it's because of what you have already done and may it deeply radically transform you in the inner parts in your mind in your heart Why don't you just go ahead and pray that in the next 20 or 30 seconds. We just pray that in your own prayer. Just pray that to God. And then if you can, just put one of your hands over your heart, wherever you feel like your heart is at. 
this heart is always prone to wander. Our hearts are always prone to produce idols. Our hearts are always trying to protect itself. I can't wait until we get to chapters 5, 6, 7. There's so much in there about being free at last. But we got to get this right, the foundation, which I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God, first for the Jews and the Gentiles. And the righteous will live by faith. Paul was quoting Habakkuk chapter 2. When it seems like everything around Israel was falling apart, the prophet Habakkuk said, How long, O Lord? And God says, The righteous will live by faith. Those who have received God's goodness, they're going to trust. God, you're going to work it out. Not me, not me trying to do things, but you are. That's a person who knows the gospel and lives according to the gospel. So Lord, I just thank you for the reminders once again. And I'm excited for this whole series as we study the book of Romans. So much in there. Lord, even just in my own heart, I feel like I'm not going to do it justice, but I pray that you will somehow use uh, imperfect person like me and just even in my lack of words, Lord, to really communicate the beauty of this gospel message that transforms hearts and lives. So, Lord, deal with our hearts. Start right in our hearts first. Give us a pure heart, Lord, a heart that desires to know you, So search us, Lord, and know us and see if there's any offensive way in us and lead us to the way everlasting. So we are grateful for the gospel. We receive it by faith. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.